the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour, 5 p.m., as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. You're familiar with... That little sleepy section just about halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego called San Clemente. I think of it uh, just nearby a beautiful historic Dana Point. There you have some of California's um, beautiful, beautiful white sun-kissed beaches. Of course, the famous San Clemente Pier. And who could forget the retirement destination of Richard Nixon when he left office in 1973 and... uh, Kind of the image of him going along the beach wearing uh, beach shorts and his uh, metal detector looking for, you know, buried treasure along the San Clemente coastline. Kind of a sleepy town, but who would imagine that out of those settings would come a movement to help call worldwide attention to what's going on in modern day slavery? And when you hear that, you say, oh, Craig, (laughs) poor Craig. Here, as we've just recently marked president's birthday, Lincoln and Washington here in February. We ought to be thinking of the fact that Lincoln helped abolish slavery back in the 1860s. Well, there were a lot of important strides toward the abolishment of slavery in America at that time. But truth be told, truth be told, that action 150 plus years ago did nothing to abolish slavery permanently. It still exists in many pockets here in America. It still exists to tremendous and shockingly degrees all around the world, as my next guest found out. And it led her to get involved in encouraging women everywhere to stand up and to essentially be a voice for those that have no voice. Kimberly McOwen-Yem joins us today. She has co-authored a new book called... Refuse to do nothing, finding your power to abolish modern-day slavery. And Kim, thanks so much for taking some time to be with us tonight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Now, when I say the the end of slavery with the Emancipation Proclamation signed into law by President Lincoln back in the 1860s, that, that ended slavery of sorts and to a degree in fashion. But the reality is, in 2013, not only does slavery still exist, but in fact it's flourishing in many parts of the world. Yes, that is correct. And I... Four years ago, I would have thought, as far as I knew, slavery was abolished. My understanding of slavery uh, was about the same level as my eight-year-old daughter at that time, and I thought it ended with the Emancipation Proclamation and found myself stunned to learn that there is an estimated number of over 27 million slaves in our world today and that 80% of those are women and children. We've seen focus in 
recent times on the issue of human trafficking, and particularly slavery as it relates to sex trades. We know certainly that there's so-called uh, sex tourism into places like Thailand and, and whatnot, but I think a lot of folks are, are completely ignorant of the fact that not only does it take place in third world countries, but a lot of that slavery is exported to the first world, meaning even America. Yes, and it's not always um, with uh, foreign women or girls or um, even men, but it's also um, with our with American children and women and men. And so we oftentimes think that it's over there and it's a problem not of our own. And what we're seeing um, is that it is. It is a problem here as well. And it is affecting even um, our suburb communities that we oftentimes take for granted are safe places. And so, yes, you're absolutely correct. Tell me a bit about how this first kind of came on your radar screen. You're you're busy. You're raising a family. You're there yeah. in this generally beautiful little, uh, uh, very um, idyllic uh, community called San Clemente. How all of a sudden does the topic of slavery and human trafficking get on your radar screen? That's a good question because it sure wasn't until uh, uh, a friend of ours that we were that I was just doing a little bit of work with. I had just kind of gone um, back to work part time. Was working for my dad, and he invited us to see a film. It, the, the the documentary Call and Response was just releasing, and he was involved in some of the marketing for the film and invited us to see the film and. So we went more as supportive friends, uh, kind of new colleagues, and I completely underestimated what I was about to learn and the impact that it would have on me. Uh, it definitely caught me off guard. I kind of knew the subject was about human trafficking, but I don't think I really understood what human trafficking was. At the time, four years ago, I kind of associated with smuggling and um, just thought this would be just another interesting film. I had no idea the impact that it would have. And that's kind of how I first kind of woke up to uh, what was going around, around me. When we begin to consider the breadth and depth of the impact of this, many car, uh, parts of the world uh, where there are people being taken advantage of, people that are being lured into this, and I suppose a lot of the reasons are the same today as it was a century or two centuries ago, and that is a lot of it has to do with, with power and money. We're going to explore that aspect of this equation. Also talk about some of the unlikely trades and places where you find modern-day slavery taking place, and I think as much as Kimberly was shocked to discover that this was going on at all, let alone the breadth and depth of it. I am pretty much persuaded you might be, too. If you've just joined the conversation, it's a bit of a delicate one, to be sure. And there might be a, an opportunity here if you have uh, young ones with an earshot of the radio to maybe busy them elsewhere. Uh, we're dealing with one of those topics that we don't necessarily want to hear about, but need to hear about. As we uh, pull back the blinds, so to speak, and let in the light of day on the topic of modern day slavery. We'll get back to more of our conversation with Kimberly McOwen-Yim as this edition of Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, we're back to our conversation today with Kimberly McOwen-Yim. A look at the book, Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern Day Slavery. And I had no doubt 
uh, Kimberly, there are some eavesdropping on this conversation right now that would say, well, now, wait a minute. We're, we're, we're talking about a handful. I mean, certainly we're, we're compassionate about all of this, but we must be talking about slavery that's limited to the third world. It might occasionally be exported into uh, the West, but for the most part, a lot of this is concentrated in parts of the world we never see and know nothing about. Yeah, I I can see why that would be kind of the general uh, first assumption. But when you scratch the surface, it's happening um, all around us. And uh, actually, in your neck of the woods of Northern California, there's actually a, probably a really strong presence of anti-trafficking coalitions that's going on. Actually, the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition is just around the corner from you guys. And um, there's a lot of different... Um, organizations doing amazing stuff in your area, both in your local area as well as um, addressing needs globally. But yeah, we people on the front lines of the anti-trafficking fight um, have been seeing forms of slavery from uh, massage parlors to nail salons to agricultural work to domestic, domestic slaves um, through uh, uh, nannies and cleaning services, um, construction. I mean, there's it's there's been documented cases of trafficking in all those uh, regions of all those different different um, uh, different groupings uh, here in the United States. Let alone some of the um, big kind of global issues that are happening as well in some of those same things. So, um, commercial sexual exploitation is a, a huge problem and concern and this is happening in everyday towns and this is happening i think we need to be clear about this as, as much as we typically think of this either in the historical context of of of, of chattel or, or possessive type slavery but there's a number of different categories whether we're talking about forced labor child labor uh, debt bondage whatever the case might be and then it gets played out not just into the cases of sex trafficking that usually capture the headline news but this is this is feeding into a lot of everyday industry. I mean, let's face it, this is more than just, well, let me go back to it. This is probably the same issue that's driving this today as what drove it 100 years ago, 200 years ago, that's driven this topic since the beginning of mankind, and that is power and money. Yeah, and and, yeah, the, the bottom line profitability of it is what's driving it. Yeah, the economy of it. The difference is, though, that Back when it was legal, um, you know, a smart business guy would have a variety of, you know, have many slaves, and they would be an investment. They would spend kind of the equivalent of $40,000 in today's economy. It would be an investment for uh, their business. Now, it's not translating. The value of a human being, a human life, has significantly decreased and a slave can be purchased on average between 90 and 120 dollars so that the people are becoming more of a commodity human beings are being bought and sold in that commodity level price range they're not no longer seemed as an investment but just a way to kind of get ahead but not um, a real investment so that's why they're um, disposable. I mean, Kevin Bales in his book wrote "Disposable People." He talks about how he specifically highlights that point um, in his book. 
but um, yeah, that's that's the unfortunate part. But I think it's uh, it's an important piece to kind of recognize that um, people are discarded. So uh, a, a woman who is bought and sold on uh, Backpage, on adult services section on Backpage, um, she is bought and sold commercially, and say she gets uh, a disease or an illness or becomes too difficult. She could be put out on the street. She can be disposed of. And those are going to be another young girl or young woman that's going to cycle back in. When we consider the fact that, for example, in the last several years, just along the U.S.-Mexico border, there have been six, 7,000 people that have lost their lives as part of the, the drug cartel violence you begin to get the impression and clear understanding that life is cheap, life is worthless, and many of these people are being treated simply like commodities to be bought and sold and traded, used and then thrown out when they're no longer of any value. And the sad irony is your book reveals this goes well beyond some of the more obvious aspects of of quote-unquote modern-day slavery and the sex trades. Uh, It it touches every aspect of, of life, doesn't it? Yeah, I and when I learned that um, what was going on, part of the conflict. Now, uh, what's going on in the Congo is a complex issue, but part of what's going on is the fight over these um, mines where minerals are being mined, and those minerals end up in our cell phones, in our computers, in our laptops, in our MP3 players. And when I saw, so our economy is very complex. And so it's adding this to complexities that are going, rather than just certain tribal wars for certain lands, it's because these minerals are so precious that ends up in my phone. So inadvertently, I'm part of the problem. And so when I began to see that the what, what I do with my time, what I'm doing with my resources, the, the things that I buy, those are not neutral. There is... They have a more global impact than I realize. Just because I don't acknowledge it or I did not understand it doesn't mean that I'm not a a part of it. And so when I began to see that, I felt a great responsibility to understand it, but then to see, to do the things that I can do that are within my power to make a difference. Now, I can't, Congo is a complex, I cannot go over there and create peace. There are some many amazing um, leaders in that country that are working on that. The local church and different NGOs and different uh, global leaders are involved in that. But what I can do that I found out is that I can begin to ask my electronic companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chain? What are you doing to help remedy this? The ordinary person has tremendous power when they start asking those questions, asking for slave-free products. And there's platforms that are already existing so that the average consumer can go online and can begin to ask those questions. There's platforms such as Slavery Footprint. And Slavery Footprint is in your neck of the woods in Northern California. Their their headquarters are. And that's a great platform to sign up on and start asking those questions, asking your companies, what are you doing to monitor your supply chains? And... That, the, these are the kinds of things that I began to see. There's tools, there's platforms, there's people that are creating these accessible things. I just need to use them. And this is the part that I can do. This reaches into almost every aspect of life, uh, both in the third and the first world. Uh, we see evidence of human slavery, 
taking place not just again in the sex trade, which is where it tends to capture a lot of the headline stories, but the agricultural business. You mentioned about mining and manufacturing. We even see it in retail and domestics, which, uh, you know, a a lot of folks, I think, are not aware of the fact that, for example, there are people that get smuggled into countries by coyotes that pay tens of thousands of dollars or obligate themselves to pay tens of thousands of dollars in order to be pulled out of horrific circumstances in a third world nation into, say, a country like the United States. And then once they arrive here, they're not cut loose to fend for themselves. They suddenly find now that they have an obligation to a coyote of ten grand, fifteen thousand, twenty thousand dollars And now they're stuck working for years in a domestic trade or maybe even working in a retail business. We see it going on in the flower industry, in aspects of manufacturing, agriculture. I mean, the list of places where this reaches its ugly tentacles into Kimberly is shocking. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. I'm. I appreciate your your the, the knowledge that you do have because it's amazing to me how many there's very you're very fortunate. I'm lucky to be on the show when you know um, as much as you do because that is absolutely correct. I mean, I think there. I thought that there are people that came to the country legally or illegally, um, and. You know, you have, might have one thought about immigration, but once you're here, to be additionally exploited because you wanted a better life for your family is is a shame. It's horrible. I mean, I I think that to, to, to risk your life and spend, even if you're spending money to get here, and then once you're here, you're additionally exploited. Because what, what human trafficking is, is an additional exploitation on the most vulnerable in our world. Well, say, for example, we see people that are working in the garment industry. Uh, a lot of this goes on, most notably in places like New York City, where they're yeah. bringing in seamstresses to work from countries like uh, Cambodia, Vietnam, China. They're smuggled in from overseas, oftentimes in very deplorable, inhumane circumstances. A lot of the big blue shipping containers that you see out at the Port of Oakland fair number of them have humans that are hidden in there that have been given uh, paltry amounts of water and and uh, and food to last 8 10 12 day trip across the ocean uh, into uh, into the port and then they get pulled into smuggled into the garment district and they're told you're going to have to work for x number of years in order to yeah. pay off the cost of your trip and by the way if you try to escape or don't do a, a good job uh, we have contacts and they too back in the home country and they say right. if you don't do what we want you to do uh, we're going to kill your parents or maybe you have a child at home. Sometimes they're splitting up or maybe a husband comes to get away and, and be able to hopefully send money back home. And so now, now they are threatening the lives of your loved ones back home. And you're right. well, so well beyond the reach of the law because they say, now, if you try to turn us into the police, they'll just deport you. Right. Right. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so the, the question, what do we do? Right. I mean, what what can we do? Let's save that point because I don't want to interrupt you. We're going to take a time out. We're going to come back and address that very important question. It comes down to, I guess, two questions we're going to have Kimberly address for us. Number one, why should it matter to us, particularly as Christians? All right. I'm I'm heart sick to hear that women and children are being exploited in sex trade, agriculture business, mining, manufacturing, domestic retail. All that. But you know, at the end of the day, why does this really matter to me? And then, if we do conclude that it should matter, what do we do about it? We'll come back to that part of the equation, our conversation with Kimberly McOwen-Yim, the book, 
refuse to do nothing, finding your power to abolish modern-day slavery. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Back to our conversation, Kimberly McGowan Yim, the book Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern Day Slavery. By the way, let me mention, if you ever run into a case where you suspect that might be going on, there is a national slavery action hotline that you can call. It's 888-373-7888. That's 888-373-7888. Kim, answer this for me. Some folks eavesdropping on our conversation today might have an understanding that, yes, this is going on and it's pretty pathetic and awful and horrible. But how does this affect me directly? How does it affect you directly? I think um, I think we we kind of touched on a few of those things uh, through our phones, through our communities, through um, just we see it going around us. We don't necessarily see it overtly, but it's happening just under our noses. We might be having um, dinner at a restaurant where the people that are serving us um, are slaves, are enslaved and cannot leave. I could be wearing a shirt right now that's made in another country, or for that matter, made in the New York City garment district that was made with slave labor. Yeah. And as you mentioned um, before the break, you know, as 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 Christians, why should it matter to us? I mean, that is a, that is a great question. And um, I think um, in to answering, to looking at that, to know, I've come to learn that we, we kind of all, um, as followers of Christ, see that to know God is to know love, right? We say God is love. But I think in the same vein, to know God is to know justice. I mean, he, what I have learned of the last four years is all through scripture God calls us beckons us through through direct quotes through his prophets I mean you name it all through scripture it talks about caring for the oppressed caring for the widow, caring for the orphan, caring for the oppressed. Well, and the amazing Um, picture we have, too, I mean, we think about the the very observation. What did Christ come to do? In Scripture, we learn he came to set the captives captives free. free. He came to bring freedom to those that were enslaved. And the imagery that's used there is not by accident. It was imagery that the writers at the time knew the audience, the readers, would immediately relate to because they saw pictures of the impact and destruction of slavery all around them. And so the idea of somebody that is that deep in bondage and has such utter hopelessness, being a slave, being given sudden release or freedom, was such a powerful image that it was even used for us to understand what it meant for Christ to die on the cross, that we might be forgiven and released from the bondage of the slavery of our sin. Talk about powerful images that ought to immediately sort of kind of bring this message to the forefront for every Christian who understands what it is to be forgiven. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. What do we do about all this? How do we, you, you have a chapter in the book, you bring about 
a discussion concerning chocolate, and I'm a huge chocolate lover. Anybody that's seen my waistline can certainly nod their head in agreement. Um, we know that there are places in the world, particularly along the Ivory Coast in Africa, that contribute to the vast majority of the cocoa beans that are harvested for the chocolate that we all enjoy. You use yeah. that as one example. Share that with our listeners, and then take a couple of moments, if you would, please, Kimberly, and just give us a big sort of 30,000-mile-high viewpoint as to what we need to be doing to actively engage in bringing to an end the horror that is slavery. Okay, um, in you know just so many minutes. Um, uh, the you mentioned that great point about chocolate, and I think that's one of the the points that we make in the book is that everybody, all consumers, have uh, purchasing power. They have consumer power as consumers. So, and looking specifically at chocolate. Uh, we can begin to redirect our spending and buy fair trade chocolate. And there are, there's divine chocolate, I believe, is in your northern, I mean, is in your neck of the woods. Divine chocolate um, is there. And, and fair trade, uh, and it's, there's, a, there's an, a labeling for that, um, kind of like an organic. There's actually like a, a, a sign, like an image, a black and white image on next to their products on what is fair trade certified. And it's a third party certification that has done that due diligence to see if it's a clean supply chain. And so buying fair trade chocolate, redirecting, and I know it's hard. I mean, I've got two small kids who love their chocolate and their candy, but we intentionally redirect our spending to buying fair trade chocolate. Um, and fair trade products in general. Uh, another organization that I love that's also up in your area, Trade is One, has, they're going to a whole new, they're only going to be selling consumable fair trade goods uh, from rice to olive oil to chocolate, you, you name it, those kind of consumable things that are fair trade certified. So using your purchasing power, pausing at the point of purchase and thinking, do I need it? Is this so? Is there a reason why they're so cheap? I mean, half the time now, I just kind of, I, I, is there is there a reason why this is so cheap? Asking those questions, and if we don't know, if it isn't fair trade, then asking the companies directly, and that's where slavery slavery footprint is a great resource. Well, it's ironic because we've seen, for example, with Apple, many of the Apple products that we yeah. see coming out of communist China are being made with slave labor, or certainly in circumstances, conditions, and at, at wages that we would look at from any uh, first world viewpoint and say, well, that's deplorable, that's horrific. Yeah, well, it's interesting that you mentioned Apple because um, as from what I know, and I've surely don't claim to be the expert expert i'm just i'm i I like to say i'm just a mom but i've done a lot of reading um but the um apple went ahead and uh was very very candid saying do an audit on our company we want to know we want to know where things are made and how things are made we wanted clean supply chain so they were actually one of the first uh um what am I thinking of? The first computer companies that who had said, electronic companies who had said, we want a clean supply chain and, and open themselves up to a third-party audit. And that is a new thing. And more and more, hopefully with enough public pressure, more and more companies will look at that as an example. And so rather than saying, oh, no, we might, because more than likely they, they do, is to saying, we want to know. Because oftentimes they don't know. They they trust the people that they're hiring to you know overseas, and there's 
you know, the minerals have gone through a variety of transits, and it can be tricky to find out, but not impossible. And so I think by public pressure and asking those questions, that'll put enough, um, with enough people caring about it and asking for that, will, re- will become a, p- a public pressure that more and more companies will begin to want to have clean supply chains. So I think we have purchasing power. Um, you mentioned, uh, I think we, we, have, we all have relationship power and influence power, right? So we have people in our lives, in our ordinary lives, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's people we go to church with, whether it's our bosses, our employees, our schools, PTA. I mean, anyone who is working with kids, who is um, working in any kind of industry. There's all kinds of people we can have conversations with about it. Education is a huge piece. The hotline number that you mentioned, perfect. I mean, paying attention to what's going around us is, I think, half of it. Because oftentimes we go on as business as usual. Keep to the grind, get in our car, go to the next spot, and we don't we're not asking the questions. We're not get, building relationships. We're picking up our clothes at the dry cleaner. Do we look at the person in the eye? How are you? When we get our nails done, are we asking for the same person and building a relationship with the person that's doing our nails? Because that is where we're going to begin to see, um, and possibly, who around us when are some red flags. Well, and at the end of the day, I think, as the title of your book suggests, look, this is a problem that's going on worldwide. People in the first world are benefiting from this, willingly, wittingly, or otherwise. It's not right. We need to do something aggressively to stop it. And we ought to be asking these questions, as Kimberly suggests. And then, most importantly, taking a proactive approach to doing something about it. Again, a great way to get educated. Check out slaveryfootprint.org. That's slaveryfootprint.org. And if you're interested more in this topic, a wonderful book newly published by InterVarsity Press Crescendo called simply Refuse to Do Nothing, Finding Your Power to Abolish Modern-Day Slavery. And our thanks to its uh, co-author. And by the way, I also should mention the founder of the San Clemente Abolitionist Mamas. I love that title. Uh, Kimberly McOwen Yim. Kimberly, thanks so much for the time and the insights. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I think we've all been through it. In fact, you might be going through it right now. The pain of not just being offended by the uh, the actions of another individual, but 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 downright injured by their actions. In some cases, it might be intentional, meaning that they are engaging in behavior to intentionally cause harm to you or embarrassment or awkwardness uh, to, to offend you in some fashion. In a majority of the cases, though, it, it's somebody who has not made good choices, not taken into consideration the potential impact of the poor choices that they have made and the ripple effect, like the proverbial pebble in the water, how it travels across, and the further out it gets, the bigger the wave, the greater the impact. Other people's choices can range from careless to cruel to thoughtless to downright depraved. The question then for we as believers is, how do you deal with all this? How do you respond to it? Um, how, how do you go about finding hope in the midst of that uncomfortable experience or uh, sometimes life-changing event? And at the same token, reach down inside of you and be able to extend forgiveness 
We are reminded in the Father's Prayer that we should forgive others as we have likewise been forgiven by the Lord. But sometimes as you're surviving the fallout of other people's choices, that's a very tall order. Joining us to discuss this is Cynthia Rupti. Cynthia is the author of a brand new book called Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. And Cynthia, great to have you back again. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Well, I'm, I'm reading uh, through the new book here, um, Surviving the Fallout of Other People's Choices, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, let me make a list of the people mm-hmm. <laughs> who maybe didn't intend to, uh, you know, in, intentionally engage in some behavior or action that would cause fallout or uh, injury back to me, but that was the end result. And trying to work through all of that as you're suddenly finding yourself picking up the pieces of somebody else's mistakes or bad choices. And I guess this runs the gambit of the husband who decides that, uh, you know, playing around on a spouse is an okay thing to do. And as a result, that marriage falls apart because of the infidelity and the children are caught in the wake to, uh, you know, a, a child who's abusing drugs. And suddenly now you've got grandkids that you now have to raise as your own because your son or daughter, the true parent, is finding themselves, you know, uh, as um, maybe a, a guest of the state in which you live. Mm-hmm. Tough stuff. And and we all know people like that. They're either within our own families or there has been a season when we've been that person who's been injured by someone else or there are people that we know of in our neighborhood, some of whom don't have the Lord to lean on for their source of hope. It's people that we hear about on the news, but but all of the stories that are written in the book, uh, Ragged Hope, Surviving the Fallout of Other People's Choices, they're real people, and they're all dear to me. These people are very dear to me, so their courage in sharing their stories, uh, all of our hope is that it will be that those stories will in some way have some impact in helping other people learn how to find those holding on places when it seems like there are none. You know, the tough part of this, I think, for a lot of us is it, it's it's difficult enough sometimes to deal with the fallout of our own poor choices. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, Scripture is very clear that the wages of sin is death, um, that you know, indeed, we can find hope and, and forgiveness in a reconciled relationship with God through the work of his son on the cross on our behalf, paying the price that we should have paid. Um, and yet that doesn't always mean that we escape. We might, while we might escape the eternal consequences of sin once we find forgiveness in Christ, of course, uh, but that doesn't always mean that we are able to escape the um, the consequences of sin here on earth. The, the lifelong alcoholic who eventually comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ might well eventually still die from cirrhosis of the liver. That is the consequence of poor choices. But that's on us. It's when it's somebody else's poor choices. And this may not be something, as I mentioned earlier, Cynthia, where they intended to hurt us, but that was the end result. It's hard sometimes to dig down and say, Father, I want to forgive them, but wow, look at the mess now. I'm, I'm, I'm suddenly on their cleanup committee, and I don't remember signing up for this. And even beyond that, sometimes the person who is the perpetrator, if we want to use that word, even if it was just an, a, a 
mistake, a, a truly a, an, an error that they had no intention of making us bear these consequences, sometimes that person's fallout is so little compared to what... And they're oblivious, perhaps, to the, to the harm that they've caused us, or just dismissive. Completely. They may not even care that they caused that kind of a fallout for us. Or they, they've gone on with their lives. They have no idea the, the impact that has been in our daily lives, every daily decision, the expense financially that we pay, the, the price we pay emotionally for what they did. So, and, and then are caring about the, the others that they have left in the aftermath of their unwise choices. It, it really is a heartache that is, a, it, it, there's nothing quite like that. There's nothing quite parallel to that. As you said, when we sin ourselves, we go and ask forgiveness. Sometimes we bear the, this tremendous guilt or burden of, of shame because we have caused fallout for someone else. And there's, that's another whole subject by itself. But in this particular instance, where I was reminded of what it was like to see that cloud of choking ash come rushing down the street after the Twin Towers fell. And seeing people who were caught up in that cloud, they could not breathe, and they couldn't find a place to breathe. They were covered in the dust and ash of it all, and there was no place they could go to find a place to take a a breath. That's oftentimes how we feel when we're caught up in the middle of this neck high or higher than that layer of the fallout ash when somebody has made a choice, one of these kinds of choices. Let's give an example of a a suicide. The pain in the heart and the emotional state and the mental state of the person who chooses suicide thinking that's an out for their own pain has left this trail of despair and heartache behind that they couldn't have imagined and we we know that many of them when they're caught up in a when when a, a suicide um someone contemplating suicide when they get caught up in that depth of pain and they see no way out they really are not measuring in their minds and their souls and their hearts the kind of fallout there would there will be for the rest of time in the family members that are left behind, those who are aching, wondering what they could have done to have made a difference, those who every holiday is different, every day of their lives are different because of what, because of that choice, that single decision. And you really end up stacking the emotions one on top of another, don't you? I mean, for example, it, it's one thing if we talk about the death of a child. Some listeners in the audience can perhaps relate to what a painful experience that is. I mean, as, as we understand life, um, you meet, fall in love, get married, have a child in that order. They eventually grow up, and then you grow older, and then they bury you. Mm. For that to be reversed, not only now does the parent have to deal with loss, but stacked on top of the loss may be resentment Mm. from what has been taken away from them, um, anger, a sense of maybe even seeing that no wonder the, the, the root of bitterness, it, it finds itself in such fertile soil when you're thinking, how, how can you, we've given you everything as our child, been available to you in every way, and you've suddenly engaged in this most selfish act, mm. 
And here we are now left in the wake of that. And as I say, Cynthia, I think the challenge here is that oftentimes people people just get caught in this quagmire of, of emotion. And no wonder that this is this can be such a, um, a block even to our relationship with God as we're trying to get all the questions to uh, or find the answers rather the questions, many of which perhaps will never be answered. Mm-hmm. So true. We know, and we know from God's word, that hope can't breathe bitter air. It can breathe despite disappointment and devastation and and that great, deep, piercing heartache, but it gets smothered by hatred and bitterness and anger and resentment and all those things that you were listing. But we're in this place then, if we're in the place of that agony, for us to be told, here's what you should do, is probably going to deepen our despair. If we're told this is, uh, this is what you need and we feel no energy to be able to even grasp the, the offer of hope that is held out to us, that's a very, very difficult place to be. But also we know from our perspective, sometimes that hope we're looking for seems very ragged. It seems like there's practically nothing left to it. From God's side of the picture, it is as strong and as sure as it has ever been. And sometimes the only thing we have to hang on to is clinging to the truth of what we know for sure. I remember when my, my um, children were little, and they would be solving, trying to solve a math problem or a science problem, or they would be uh, trying to problem solve something else that was going on in their lives. And it would get more complicated and more tangled. And I often would say to them, let's start with what you know for sure. And it's such a wonderful problem solving principle. So they would start there at the point of what they knew, and pretty soon as those pieces began to come together, one after the other, of what they knew for sure, what they could trust and believe in, they could get the problem solved. They could get to the end of what they were looking for. Now, we don't want to oversimplify it for the listeners who are thinking, this is this is a deeper pain than you know, lady. But the truth of the matter is that is where we need to start with what we know for sure hanging on to the god of hope the one who even when when we're in the middle of a very vulnerable place and we feel like we're sticking out there and and all the arrows and darts are aimed at us and we just can't catch our breath he is still the one who is our source of hope sometimes all we can do is just repeat that to our soul, even as David did in the Psalms, is just tell our soul the truth while we're trying to wade through the worst of this. And a lot of it is coming down to developing the ability to differentiate, because I think a lot of times when we get caught in the middle of this this pain and there's so much tremendous disappointment mm-hmm. that we kind of assign blame everywhere, including God. Mm-hmm. And it might be true that indeed this individual in our life, it's a spouse, it's a child, it's a sibling, whatever, has broken promises and as a result shattered some dreams. Mm-hmm. But we have to differentiate between their actions 
and God's actions. Mm -hmm. And we do serve a God of hope, even at times when those around us might try to steal hope from us. We'll talk about that when we come back. Cynthia Rukti is with us tonight. Her latest book, Tattered and Mended, The Art of Healing the Wounded Soul. Today we go a bit deeper into surviving the fallout of other people's choices. Wow. We've all been down that road, haven't we? Maybe that sin was not intentionally toward us, but we felt the wake of their bad choices, and we feel as if somehow we're paying their price. Wow. How's that for a sense of injustice? This is like the proverbial automobile accident that damages your car, gives you whiplash, sends you to the hospital, and the drunk driver walked away without a scratch. Where's the justice in that? A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 